Hello, and a very good day to you. My name is Jim Harris, and this is Heritage Bible Radio. Heritage Bible Radio is an extension of Heritage Bible Church in Boise, where it's my joy to serve as the teaching pastor. Every day, we devote our radio time to studying a portion of the Word of God so you can know Him better through Jesus Christ and serve Him better through your local church. This week on Heritage Bible Radio, we're beginning a new series in the Gospel of Matthew. It's going to focus on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which will cover Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. This week, we're going to start out slow with just the first two verses of chapter 5. Pastor Jim will use this time to introduce and frame what is to come in these three rich chapters of Matthew. The scene opens with Jesus among a large crowd who had come out to see and hear this amazing man. And Jesus walks up onto some high ground in order to be better seen and heard and he begins to teach them in a way they have never been taught before. Here is today's slice of the sermon entitled, Blessed Now and Forever. The most common and damaging abuse of the Bible is to read it and interpret a passage and then try to apply the passage without first understanding the proper context. We have to pay attention to the historical context. Nothing is ever spoken or written in a vacuum. We have to pay attention to the biblical context. How does this fit in with the the whole teaching of the Bible? And we have to pay attention to the grammatical context. What do the words actually mean? How do the sentences fit together? How does the, the, the logic flow within this? So what is the context of the Sermon on the Mount? And I want to take about four different views of the con not four differing views, but four different senses of the context of the Sermon on the Mount. First of all, how does it fit into the life of Jesus? Well, in the life of Jesus, this sermon comes near the end of the second year of his public ministry. So it was about a year and a half before the crucifixion. This was at the height of Jesus' popularity. If you remember our recent studies in Mark, remember I mentioned so often the, the great Galilean ministry, the time that he spent over a year primarily in Galilee. Most of the miracles you know about, most of the discourses you know about took place uh, during that time. That's where this fits in. More specifically, this sermon was given just after Jesus publicly appointed and declared the 12 apostles. As a matter of fact, it took place on that same day. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus called the disciples, as we know them, or the apostles. Um, They were with him for a while. They went back to their regular occupations for a short while, and then Jesus summoned them to be with him full-time, and they followed him throughout almost all of the three and a half years of his public ministry. But it wasn't until the end of the second year that he appointed these 12 as the ones who would be his apostles, who would take the, the gospel to uh, wherever the Lord would send them. They would, they would be the, the first generation to spread the gospel. So it's at a crucial time, at the height of the popularity of 
Jesus, and there was a big crowd present for this sermon. Secondly, we need to note how this fits into the context of the book of Matthew. Understand, the book of Matthew is not in chronological order. Now, it does have a beginning and an end. It starts with the genealogy of Jesus, it ends with the resurrection of Jesus, and it moves from the beginning to the end. But Matthew didn't put his book together as if it was the, the diary of Jesus. And he had not attached a GPS tracker to him and told you exactly where he went all those times. Matthew wrote this book in a logical order as an extended gospel tract to Jews. He wanted to convince them of the fact that Jesus is the Messiah that they were waiting for. Now, Matthew, therefore, arranges some of his material in a non-chronological way. If you want to get the chronological order, put together Mark and Luke. They keep it in chronological order. Neither Matthew nor John are strictly chronological. In his book, uh, the way Matthew set up his book, he unfolds a theme. After the the genealogy of Jesus, the, the birth of Jesus, the visit of the, of the Magi, and, and all of that, we come to this in Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. And there's a pretty big jump in time from the Magi to this, like almost 30 years. Matthew 3, 1 and 2 says, Now in those days, John the Baptist came. He came about six months. His his public ministry began about six months before Jesus. John the Baptist came, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then Matthew summarizes John's ministry. He introduces us to Jesus by telling us how he was then um, when he came on the scene, and John inserts that, Um, The Gospel of John inserts that John the Baptist introduced Jesus to the public as, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then he skips ahead to um, the temptation of Jesus at the hand of the devil. Then he skips from the beginning of Jesus' ministry to his time in Galilee. Well, there was actually some time before he went and began ministering in Galilee. But because he was writing for the Jews... John, or rather Matthew, wanted to show the direct continuity from the forerunner of the Messiah, John the Baptist, to the Messiah himself. So in chapter 3, he begins with, uh, John the Baptist came saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then you jump down to Matthew 4.17. From that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hand. So, what I'm trying to say to you is that as in the way that Matthew arranged his gospel, the biblical context of the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew's gospel is, this is Jesus' detailed explanation of repent. Repent from what? Well, you'll find out as you, as you unfold this. This describes the life of one who repents, the life of one who is transformed by the grace of God through faith. Um, it, it's, 
part of the fact of repenting is turning away from everything else and turning to Christ. It is becoming a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, just as Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, where we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred to the kingdom of his dear son. This is the king talking about what kind of people belong to his kingdom. Now, here's another sense of the context of the Sermon on the Mount. You should understand the political context of the Sermon on the Mount. The Jews of Jesus' day were looking for a Messiah, but their definition of this deliverer who was to come was going to be a political ruler. They wanted deliverance, but they didn't want a deliverance from the domain of darkness they didn't think that's where they were. They just wanted a, um, a, a deliverer who would give them political liberation from the Romans. They weren't looking for a deliverer from sin. They wanted independence. They wanted revolution, some of them more drastically than others, and I'll show you that in a moment. Uh, the Messiah they wanted was going to be a radical He was going to be a revolutionary. He was going to be a man who would be swept to power by his uh, incredible political popularity. But the kingdom that they wanted was going to be political and earthly. It wasn't going to be spiritual and heavenly. They didn't want a a humble servant. They wanted a political and military general they could get behind to to lead them to victory. And in, in that arena, there was a main group called the Zealots. I'll mention them again in a minute. Uh, As they read, not just the zealots, as the Jews read the prophets, they looked forward to this glorious kingdom to come. They believed every word of that. But as they would read of the one who was meek and lowly, the one who was a suffering servant, the one who would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities, well, they just slid slid right by those passages. That's not who, what they wanted. So when Jesus came along, looked really good. Oh, his guy is really, he has a tremendous amount of charisma. People love this guy. Oh, and, and look at those miracles. But to some of them, it was a massive disappointment that Jesus never brought up politics. Now, he was, he, he was challenged on political things many times, but he never fought the system. Despite the oppression of Israel by Rome, Jesus completely shunned the zeal of the ones who wanted to make him the leader of a political revolution. Jesus was not and Jesus is not now nearly as concerned about changing the structure of society as he is about working on the inside of individuals. Now, in this great sermon... It is therefore said that the stress is on being what God wants you to be, not ruling or possessing things. It's as if he doesn't care what you do until he has changed what you are, because what you are on the inside determines what you will be doing eventually. The most exalted people in the kingdom of heaven that Jesus talks about in this sermon They are the antithesis of human ideas about greatness and governments and kingdoms and political power. 
The most exalted people in Christ's kingdom are the, the lowest in the world's eyes. Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? If you would like this message on Compact Disc, let me know and we'll send it to you. You'll receive the entire message, not just the portion on today's program. You can order by phone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704 or on the internet at hbc-boise.org. Heritage Bible Radio needs your prayers and your financial support. Once again, you can reach us online at hbc-boise.org or by telephone at 353-4036 or by writing to us at 7071 West Emerald, Boise, Idaho, 83704. And if you need a church home here in the Treasure Valley, I hope you'll visit us any Sunday at 7071 West Emerald. For Heritage Bible Radio, I'm Jim Harris. See you next time. Bye-bye.